turn, if you will, I'm going to take some liberty with Hebrews uh, 13, and I'm going to select two verses, and then I'm going to look and consider not only leadership in the church, but leadership in the home. And uh, we'll read the verses, and then I want us to just take in a bit of this definition that John Piper gives that I think is a terrific spiritual definition of leadership. Listen to what he says in verse 7. And we will pick up 1 through 6 next week. But I just, for this day, I wanted to take this liberty. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, a good measure of a leader is what kind of life are you seeing evidence? What, what's the outcome? Uh, and he says, remember those who in the early days most likely led you to the Lord, taught you the faith, and on and on. And says, remember them and imitate the kind of men they were. Don't imitate the man per se, but his faith, the kind of life hopefully that you saw Christ in. Then it says, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So he, he looks at the responsibility of the people to a leader, the responsibility of the lead, and then he tells the responsibility of the leaders. Now, watch what he says. Let them do this. He first he says, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Leadership must always be accountable. And God said, if you don't have any human accountability, you can be sure on divine accountability. I'm going to ask you, what did you do with my church? What did you do with my flock? What did you do? Don't seek to be teachers because I'm going to hold you to a greater standard. It's scary to have a big ambition to lead a church. God had better bring you to it because it's a scary accountability. I hope we don't scare off anybody. Most churches are not being stampeded by men who want to lead. He goes on. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now look, if you will, turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Where should you go when you're looking for leaders? In the church especially. Verse 4. Chapter 3, if you're in the spirit, you know these things. It just comes automatic. <laughs> He's telling what the characteristics of a bishop should look like. And then he goes down here that he must manage his own household well. Now, that doesn't mean the dogs and the lawn only. It's those who live in it. 
it would be nice if you'd cut the lawn too. They should do this with dignity, not various ways you can leave the household. Keeping his children submissive, and I'm taking this to be minor children growing up until they leave the home. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Let's go back to Hebrews. And before we do that, I want you to notice this definition we printed out for you. Uh, spiritual leadership defined. I take this from John Piper. I love this definition. Notice, spiritual leadership is knowing where God wants people to be. Spiritual leadership, if you're going to lead anybody spiritually, a church, a home, a life, where does God want them to be? Now, doesn't he want them to become Christ-like? Doesn't he want them to mature? Doesn't he want them to grow up in God? Well, you've got to know that as the leader. It can't be your agenda. It can't be just what you want to do with them. I want to make you in my image. No, 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 no. We don't produce clones. We don't produce dittos. We produce people that ultimately look like Christ, not like the leader that trained them. But what's scary, Luke 6.40 says, when a disciple's been fully taught, they will look like the one that taught them. 6.40. Scares you that your kids look so much like you and that a church acts so much like its fallen pastors. Just sinners themselves. What's scary about church leadership is God takes sheep to lead sheep. And that's why I know your problems. I have the same ones. We're all wayward by nature, stubborn and blind and vulnerable and weak, so we should understand each other. So he goes on. They know where God wants the people to be, and he takes the initiative. Leadership is never passive. They take the initiative to use God's methods to get them there in reliance on God's power. I break this down. You've got to know where God wants the people led. Two, you've got to be available for God to use you to make a difference. You're not going to just keep critiquing the church needs this, the church needs that, this needs that. They're not doing that. Uh, no. uh, wait, wait, would you quit telling us all that and do something about it? Would you become available? No, I'm here to judge. I'll tell you what's wrong with that church. One of the things wrong with it is you. If every member was just like you, what kind of church would we be? Use divine means for divine ends. We got to use the means of the word, the means of prayer, the means of Christ-like attitudes the means God has designed to bring people to maturity. Colossians says, I preach, I teach, I admonish that I might present every man mature, mature in Christ. And then we depend upon God no matter if we're leading a home or a church. Uh, we depend upon God for divine 
enablement. Now, there's four things he wants to happen in church leadership mentioned in Hebrews. Let's pick them out. Number one, remember those who led you in the past. And the big idea is remember the kind of people they were, the kind of faith they exercised. Imitate their faith. Don't imitate their faults. Imitate their faith. Imitate what they taught you about God. And don't we all need leaders in our life? And do you ever look back and thank God and remember with fondness those people who had a spiritual impact on your development? I mean, you have a debt of gratitude. Remember them with fondness. Remember their faith. Then he goes to verse 17. He said, follow present leaders. Obey your leaders. And what does that mean? Uh, I've heard people say, well, I'm not into blind loyalty. Don't worry. I know you grew up near Berkeley. Question authority. Question authority. And we're good at that, and there's so much lousy. Look at what's going on in the Oakland Police Force. These are our community leaders. No models. No models for us. He said, Obey. What does that mean? A go along with everything a leader says, everything they tell you, you can't have your own opinion. Uh, now, I did at one time have a deacon that used to always use this line on me. Well, let me play the devil's advocate. I said, the devil doesn't need any help. <laughs> he, he doesn't need, I don't need to hear what the devil thinks. What does God think? Let me give you the meaning of this word. It's a Greek word, pytho. You can look it up in a lexicon. It goes this way. Be willing to be persuaded. Be willing to be persuaded. To induce one by the means of words to believe something. It's translated to believe, to trust. So can we by words persuade you in a direction to go? Are you teachable? Are you willing if a case is made to be led? Because you cannot lead a people that refuse to be led. And now our problem today is gullibility over here, no discernment, and you get crooks over here. So in a day when there's many crooks that are called leaders and you got gullible people, it's a disaster when you hear obey. But if you discern they're leading in the paths God wants. They're using God's word. They're relying on the Holy Spirit. I believe they're out for the good of the flock. I'm willing to be led and persuaded to follow. That's why whoever the leader is had better have biblical authority for the way he wants to take you. Now, what's tough in church life, there's a lot of things we don't have a verse about what to do, what color the pews ought to be. And you'd be amazed at how many churches have split over it. That's why building programs work havoc on most churches. Most pastors, I've read the statistics, uh, resign within a year of a building program. Why? You're raising money. You're designing buildings. You're doing a lot of stuff that you don't have a verse. Well, I think the building ought to be this configuration. Give me a verse for that. That's just your opinion. Well, my opinion is nearly revelation, you know. 
No, it's not. We got a hundred other brothers here who think you're crazy. Well, I'm not going to go to church where my opinion isn't followed. I just heard a uh, Church of God in Christ preacher, black preacher with a large church, is now with the Lord Gibson. He was saying, I don't trust anybody that says, Pastor, I'll be loyal to you. I'll be with you all the way. He said, oh, no, no, no. I put no stock in that. One misunderstanding and they're gone. We'll be with you. No, you won't. No, you won't. Unless you get your way, you won't be with us. There's only one who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Only one that can keep his word. The rest of us are fickle. So how do you get people to be persuaded? Well, the Spirit of God has to work, and uh, we just simply have to say, am I a teachable person that's willing to be led? Because God appointed human leaders to lead. Are they infallible? No. So you better keep your Bible open while they're talking to you. Now, when it comes to money, when it talks to colors, design, and a thousand other issues in life that you don't have an exact word from God, let us seek to be of one mind, one spirit, and maybe it'd help if we'd pray about it. Maybe God could take stubborn wills and blend us into unity. Do you think that's possible? If it's not, we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance. Well, he goes on to say, not only obey them, but submit to them. Uh, I love this. This wasn't written to the women in the church only, but to the men. Submission is a biblical concept for those who walk in the Spirit are submissive people. You remember that? It's not just a feminist term. It's not just a term for the women. It's for everybody in the assembly. Obey them. Submit to them. Uh, and if you don't like their decision, God may put you in the place to make that decision the next time. So it is risky business trying to lead people, and only God can cause this combination in church life where he gives you leaders that you think love you, have a divine direction in mind, and that you'll be better off in following their leadership. So he says, do this in that assembly. Uh, and he said, why submit to them? He said, because they're watching over your souls. And that word is a word that means sleepless. They lose sleep. It was used of a guard. You don't go to sleep on duty. He's assuming you're a true shepherd who is sleepless about your duties. You're, you're watchful. You're wakeful. The flock matter to you. you. You know, the wolves don't sleep much. The lions are night prowlers. You've got to be on the alert because the devil and his uh, folks like to destroy God's You smell like fresh blood to the lion. We used to say that newborn lamb, the lion catches the whip of the blood and he goes out to devour it. And God has appointed human leaders to help, help, protect, and defend. The devil wants to destroy you wants to destroy your home, wants to destroy your children, wants to destroy your testimony, and God has put us other brothers that are also targets of the devil. We're all here to help one another, protect one another, guard one another, encourage one another, because we want to make it through this world and not be devoured. 
We've got heaven made. It's getting through this life. It's tough. It's a tough journey. And then he says, uh, the way you treat these leaders who must give an account to God, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I cannot tell you of the woes of so many who've led in the church. I quit going to certain pastor meetings because I didn't want to hear the dregs of all the church problems. It's a terrible thing to give with a bunch of pastors and have a bunch of them being spit out and you're trying to be an encouragement. And I'm thinking, is this the household of faith? This is where the Holy Spirit is working? This is where, and they're fighting over a $20 issue? And they're fussing about this? fussing about that, and you see that pastor? I've seen joyless pastors and joyless wives. People just can just grind them to shreds. Southern Baptist said the average tenure of a Southern Baptist pastor, his first pastor is less than two years. You don't want to hear that, but guess what you would like to have? You'd like for somebody to pastor you. At least you need them for funerals. You can't complain then. They say whatever they want. You need somebody to marry off your daughters. What about to lead with joy? Why do you think I've been here 45 years? The majority of you have brought me joy. Joy. I got a card this week from a sister that used to attend this church, and she wrote, she moved away, and just, I want to thank you for the word I was taught. I want to thank you for the kindness of the church. And I want to, all she did was a thank you and yours truly. What, what a joy. What a joy. I, I met Jesse a few weeks ago, and when we were just talking, meeting, he said, and you're Phil Howard who? Yeah, I'm okay. And I hear you on the radio every morning. I mean, he, he's a desperate man to turn on the radio at 5.30. So remember, you know, pray for him. Uh, you know what? It's our job to make leadership on any level, who, whether it's a children's department, youth department, the women's men, let us encourage people willing to take the risk to lead. We need your prayers and appreciation more than vain compliments. I just want to know, are you praying for us? We're mere people trying to lead. And leadership is not easy on any level, whether you're going to be running for a Republican or a Democrat. And someone asks me, how do you vote? <laughs> moving, moving right on. Uh, let us, uh, where do you get church leadership? Uh, if you were nominated to be uh, uh, a deacon or an elder, uh, where should we begin? Look at First Timothy. He said, uh, when you're looking at a man to be an overseer of God's people, look into his home. Look into his home. Would his wife nominate him? 
or would his children nominate him? Or would they gasp once they heard his name? Oh. No. I mean, would the dog have a heart attack? You know you got the wrong man. So when you're going to find a guy that's going to help lead God's people, you ought to ask, how does he run the home? Well, he doesn't. He's maybe a passive man. We keep telling the woman, follow him, follow him, and she keeps saying, he's a parked truck. He's not going anywhere. I keep bumping into him. He's passive. He likes video games, sports, and uh, a beer now and then, and you want me to follow, and he's fat. <laughs> you call that leadership? You know, this is convicting, folks. Uh, he says here, he must manage his own house so well with all dignity, keeping his children gagged. <laughs> no, no, submissive, under authority, under control of some type. For if he does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? It goes this way. If you're bombing out in a small sphere, God's never going to promote you to a larger one. If you're getting an F in the home, God says, oh, you need to lead a church, or you need to be an elder. You need, you need to lead something. No, no, no. You need to find out what God wants you to do with this sphere. Because guess what? You've been voted in as leader teacher if you're a dad. It's, it comes with the turf. Now, you will teach, good or bad, but you will teach. Can't help it. And he said, he uses the word, he must manage, and then he uses the interchangeable word, how will he care for the church of God? And this word manage is the same word in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well, the word there is manage, proistomy, and preach, teach. And so they're to manage the household of faith. I, I grew up, I wanted to just preach, teach. The management part has been the hard part. Because I think I could manage 30 people, but 1,000 adults is tough. It's real challenging. Now, what you might say, you need more CEOs. You need more guys to do this and do that in the marketplace. Could you run a successful company and not be qualified to lead a church? You see, companies run on dollars, orders. I can fire you. Most of the church is run by volunteers, and they have to be motivated. They have to feel loved, wanted, appreciated cared for before they want to be a part. It's a different kind of leadership. It's not autocratic. I'll fire you if you don't do your job. We don't go around and fire all of our Sunday school teachers that don't show up. We try to encourage them. Volunteerism is a different organization than hire. Totally different. About three years ago, we had three pastors, or six pastors, now we're three. Uh, or maybe eight elders were six, 20 deacons. How do you keep up 
They say you need a full-time pastor for every 100 people. You've got 2,500 people on the mailing list. A 1,000 show up occasionally. How do you keep up? And he says, well, wherever you begin, start in their home. Listen what the Dobson, I just read this in Dobson, a survey taken. What are the greatest needs facing a dad today? It's right there in your notes. 500 responded. This is what they said. The, the mom said this. 59% said, my husband, my kid's father, they need family leadership skills. They don't know how to lead our family. Very interesting. What all does that mean? I'm not sure what all is meant. Passive, not engaged, not involved. Dad, let me ask you, do you know how to lead a household? Do you know how to shape it for Christ? So forth. And the women said, too, they need physical activity and stress relief, probably from the job and the schedule. But I think it's interesting, physical activity, and, and it's hard to get it when you just watch warrior games. I know you're interceding, but anyway, uh, that, that's what they say. I think that's very interesting. Nearly 50% said their husbands needed a role model. If you came to the faith and you're not, see, many of you, you're, you're spoiled rotten about Christianity. You're third generation, second generation. What's the big deal? The big deal is you grew up with a template. You're saved out of drugs. You're saved out of the hood. You're saved out of a divorced home. You're saved with an alcoholic father. You're saved with your dad beat your mom. You're saved with no dad in the home. You get all, and all of a sudden, I come to Christ. Wonderful. Oh, I don't want to just live with my girlfriend. Sex out of marriage doesn't have God. I better get married. I get married. Wow, it's not going too good, Pastor. Why isn't it? You don't say this. I don't know squat about how to have a Christian home. My dad slapped my mother, hit her. My dad stayed drunk on the weekend. What does a Christian husband do? When kids misbehave, you beat them or you slap them or you call them an SLB. I don't know what to do. This way I was raised. The way you were raised isn't the way God raises kids. But most of our homes are not available for anybody to see how it's done because we're all private, living in our private castles. Nobody gets in my house. Guess what? New believers never see how it's supposed to function. They don't know. They don't know the template. How do you know how to be a father? How, how do you know how to be a kind man to a woman when maybe you've been just a sex maniac that knows how to use women, but you've never cherished a woman? Or, I mean, we take all this stuff for granted. If you're a second, third generation, but when you start from scratch, from paganism to Christianity, you don't know the template. And that's why all of you folks have been a Christian a while. You've got plenty of opportunity, plenty of work. I think of Don Andrews teaching his class with the men. It's great. Here we've got one of our older men 
who raised children, uh, had a successful career, and he loves men. He wants to rescue young men. Don't make the mistakes that all of us men are prone to make. We need you men. We need you. They don't know how to run a home. We can throw darts at them, but can we show them how to have one? Now, listen to what the dad said. 61% said, I, have, I need leadership skills. I can run a company. I don't know how to run a home. I can run this. I can be good in my job, but I, I'm a failure at home. What a frustrating thing. Two, 54% said they, needed, uh, they didn't know how to spiritually train their children. Let me say, men, let me just say this to you. There's no place in the Bible where God said the women are to train the children. He said parents are. Proverbs 3, my son, listen to the law taught to you by your father and your mother. Father and mother. This is the tragedy of the single home that our nation is flooded with. And I'm not here to down you. It's a hard road. God really designed a man and a woman to raise children, not a woman by herself or a man by himself. It's double work how we need to pray for these singles. It's a difficult challenge. 53% said, I need to spend more time with family. We seldom do a funeral where the man's last words were, I wish I would have worked more overtime. No, it's more like I sure wish I would have taken time with my kids because when they were young, I was too busy on a career track. Man, I was out with the guys. I was this and that. And then I lost the home. I lost any influence. The song said, just a child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. The greatest evangelistic tool we have, the greatest teaching tool we have is called the home. I asked Rich Rollins one time, what's the greatest secret of raising a family to love God? He said, 
are moms and dads that take it serious. You're never said in the Bible that you can lead your kids to the Lord. You're not responsible for that. You're responsible for raising the way God said in the fear, nurture, and admonition of the Lord. Only God can save them. Proverbs 22, 6 is not talking about salvation. Your kids, that's your greatest mission field. And if a man doesn't have a priority to pray, love, and care for his own home, you can be sure he'll never care for the church of God. So if a man loves wife and kids, you know he's got a heart for God. He goes on. The other model, and we won't go into it, is he see how he loves his wife, the mother of these children. And he said, love your wives like Christ loved the church in Ephesians 5. So how a man treats his wife. Is she being loved? Is she being nurtured? Would he give up himself for her? And he goes on and speaks about how he manages a home, how he relates to a wife. Those, and he said, has God ever cleansed your heart so that you become a one-woman man? You're no, longer, you're no longer flirting in your mind. You're no longer playing the market. You're saying, I'm devoted to one wife for life by the grace of God. Sean told me a while back, he said, being married to Deborah has been like 10 minutes. I was so moved. I just said, I went for my handkerchief. Then he said, 10 minutes underwater. <laughs> and, and it seemed to change everything. You know what? Through thick and thin, thick and thin, we are to be devoted. And that's the kind of man you look for. Not his degrees, not this, not that. Character. You cannot produce character. Only God can. Only God can. Now, let me ask you men some questions and then go home and let everybody treat you like a million bucks and pray Steph shows up. Um, I just want to ask you some questions. Is God's approval the first day? Do you have God's approval on the way you're managing your home? We start there. Would God approve the way you treat your wife? Don't worry about ever advancing until you take care of that. Two, authority. Can God trust you with authority? What a man does with authority will reveal his character. Autocrat, self-centered, or sacrificial. Will he use authority like Paul? Twice he said it, 2 Corinthians 10 and 13. I have authority, but for your edification. Do they turn their authority in God to build up the church, not to dominate? 
What's scary when no one emerges as a leader? Hear this. This is a scary fact of history. Where no leader exists, in the vacuum, one will emerge, but he may not be the one God wants. In the vacuum of no leaders, we wind up with a terrible replacement. Accountability. Are you willing to be accountable to God for the way you treat a home? Do you feel that way, how you're treating that little girl and that little boy in your arms? Are you just passing by, ignoring them? Are you willing to be accountable to God to oversee anything? I don't care if it's children's ministry, youth. Are you willing? It's not up to our youth workers and our children's workers to see that you show up when you sign up. Come on. Take the, do you take this serious? Or when it comes to God's house, anything will do. No, it won't. No, it won't. If we have to close the class and wait till God gives me somebody that's got the burden and will show up because they love Christ, that's what we need to do, not keep begging. Close the class. We've got to have God raise up people for this hour. Quit cursing the darkness. Quit telling me everything wrong with the Bay Area. Tell me what you're doing about it. You're part of God's means to address the darkness. You're part of God's means of evangelism. You're part of God's means of uh, getting a new template and bringing the fallen girl, the drug addict boys. Come to my home. I'm going to show you how Christ runs a home. We're not perfect here, but let me show you, son, what God can do for you. Can you do that? I hope so. If not, you're not authentic. You're not authentic. Ability. Do you have any ability to contribute anything to this church that make us a better ministry? What ability do you have? Uh, I think one of the scary things is to be sincere and have no ability. You know, I, I really love Jesus. Would you fix that electrical unit? And then you get the report, Brother Jones just barbecued. Because sincerity doesn't give you ability. You better not mess with electricity unless you know what you're doing. We need people with ability. This is not ought to be pull all the zeal but ignorance group. We ought to be people. But here's the issue. Not just having ability. My last A is do you have availability? You can be the most capable person in this church and be unavailable. And I have to tell you, this is one of the modern dilemmas we have. Most churches run on volunteers. Would you not agree? agree? We can't pay everybody to just pick up a chair. But this is what bugs me, but it's the fact. I used my son-in-law because I had to change my mind and I had I had to be educated. Years ago, I was always after Jason because he's in organization management with Kaiser and all like that, and he was a gifted young man and a gifted African-American. I want, I want color not just in the pew. I want it leadership. It's one thing to say Mexicans can come here, blacks can It's one thing, they come, can they lead? Can they join the team? So I wanted him because I knew of his great abilities. And I could get very little yes out of him. 
One day, Rich Rollins took me aside. Phil, he said, Phil, you don't understand. You are clueless. Thank you, Rich. <laughs> what are you trying to say? He said, I'm trying to say when you're on an executive track, Kaiser could care less about this church. They want Jason to make them millions of dollars. And they're not going to let him be available to do very much. And they've done a pretty good job of it. I remember talking to Tim Valston. He would come into our elders' meetings when we had our meetings in the evening. Often I remember him being soaked, commuted to San Fran by the bus, worked to downtown PG&E, get in there at 7 o'clock, beat up, tired, exhausted, uh, the trench coat soaked. And I would say, now let's help us run Valley Bible Church. We need your input. What he needed was a hot meal and a bed. <laughs> he was spent. That's why we moved him to Saturday morning. Our men were all exhausted at night. But on and on, single parent for years, 35 years with them. And one day I said, Tim, you've got great mathematical ability. You, you're a double major in engineering. You're a whiz in that area. We need you. We did this. Then one day I said, how long are you going to let PG&E own you? And it's the plight of our men and our women, since women have gone back to the workforce. We want programs. We want programs. And yet, the American workforce is working harder for less wages than ever. That's why you who are retired, you who are up there, you have all kinds of ability and availability. I'm telling you, we need you. We want you. And let me tell you, for all you guys on these fantastic jobs, I just want you to answer one question. Who bought you? And who cares if you get a divorce or not? Will your company be there the day she files? And will they be there when your kid says, I hate you, Dad, because the company had all your time and you had no time for me? Somewhere or another, we've got to stand up to an insane culture, work, 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 fall in the grave, for a little bit of sex, a little bit of food, a little bit of Disneyland, and then we die. We don't know our kids, and we lost our marriage, and we call it an American success. It's not. Are you bought? Did Jesus buy you to get the scraps of your life, or did he get all of you? That's the question. Leadership in the church, we're desperately in need of it, always. But the greater need is leadership in the home. I challenge you men on Father's Day, don't abdicate. You're in a culture we don't even know which bathroom to go to. <laughs> huh? Do you think your kids need direction? You go this way. All right, we're in a culture where we don't know who's married and who's not married. Everybody's married. Pretty soon, it'd be a marriage between me and Shamu. You know, it doesn't matter if you marry an animal. It's all marriage in God's sight. Yeah, it does. We're in an insane culture, and the church cannot substitute for what you and mom can do in the home. 
We need you. Your kids need you. Your marriage needs you. Don't abdicate. Don't abdicate. Father, I pray, save our homes. Save our churches. Save our kids. Save our marriages. We're a mess as a culture. All the time saying we're Christian, which is, is just a travesty. We need your help, Lord. We really are in desperate times in need of a God that comes to us. The Lord is our refuge, a very present help in the time of trouble. I pray, help me, help my brothers to be the fathers, husbands, and grandparents that would honor Christ above all. Help our men whose jobs are wringing them out, consuming them, leaving so little left for even family, let alone church. I ask you, Father, give us wisdom, give us guidance, and keep our heads in an insane age. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go rejoice, dads. Have a good time. <laughs>